Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. This is Speakeasy with Deneen, a podcast from Georgia Public Broadcasting. I'm your host, Deneen Milner. Each episode of Speakeasy trains a spotlight on a single word and then deep dives into the many ways it shows up in the African-American community. On this episode, the word is sunshine. There are things in this world that lift you in indescribable ways. As we close out the first season of our show, I offer a glimpse of the sunshine in my life. You'll meet my biggest champion, my hero, my dad. You'll also hear from two literary giants and dance with me to some of my favorite music. The first place I want to start is in my apartment with my dad. James Milner is 84 years young, and I love him to pieces. We have lots of daddy-daughter moments, and that rang true when he visited me recently from Virginia. We sat down for a little chat. Now, Dante, how long is it going to take? Like 20 minutes. Ten, we'll talk, what? We'll 20 minutes? All right, That's 10 minutes, like a daddy. 10 minutes, daddy. But like 20 a, minutes, 10 minutes. I know, I know, because you're long-winded, you know. I have to cut you off sometimes, you know. <laughs> you're very long Where I get it from. <laughs> just, like, just like you're writing, you're very long-winded. You're right. <laughs> I had to cut you down sometimes. He's so cold-blooded. But for real, I could spend hours talking with him. His joy is infectious. Now, Daddy is from Virginia, but he rode the Great Migration up north when he was just a teen. He and my mom raised me in New York. She passed away in 2002, and about a year later, he returned to the very street on which he was born and raised, closer to his roots. When you, you know, you always go back to your roots, you know what I mean? When you, when you leave a place, you, that's the best place to start over again, you know, and get yourself, you know, situated and get, Mm -hmm. get your mind together. Yeah. But that's where you chose to move after mommy passed away. You left, yes. yeah. well, left Long I, Island and moved I, to Denver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to get out of New York because in New York it's very hard when you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, you know, you know how big that house is, you know. And mm-hmm. You heard an ice machine running all the time at night to be sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you holler up there, go to sleep, buddy, go to sleep, daddy, go to sleep, daddy. Right. <laughs> go to sleep, daddy. You know? Right. And, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, I do. I love it. Man. Well, one thing that I that I remember when, you, when I first saw it after you moved to Virginia mm-hmm. and I came down finally to come see you, um, and... You know, I remember growing up in the house in Long Island, and Mommy was the ruler of the roost, right? Like, she, yeah, yeah. if if there was a, a decorating thing to happen, she made all of the, de- the, decisions, all the decisions, right? All there the was decisions. the furniture was one way, the walls were white. Mm-hmm. You know, she mm-hmm. had a very just sort of simple, yeah. um, you know, way of of decorating. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking into your house for the first time down mm-hmm. in Danville, and you know, it was like an explosion of colors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like yeah. you, you chose to go in the exact mm-hmm. opposite direction of everything that mommy did decoratively, uh-huh. you know, and and you built a different kind of life, yeah. a life that I didn't expect to happen. Like, well, see, I wanted to I wanted to make a like a change 
and then I didn't want it to look like uh, it was old person house, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, <laughs> right, you know, I right. wanted to look, you know, like like up to date. Put some colors uh-huh. in there, and that's what I did. I made some colors in there and cut some walls out and uh-huh. put some light in there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And tried to make it like a bachelor pad. <laughs> You, you yeah, made a bachelor's like space. That's what you were doing. Yeah. Oh Lord, we're not finna go down this road, sir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what what was cool about it was that you know, like, and I think I I told you this the other day. I just read a story about it actually, about how couples that are married for a long time, mm-hmm. that when one passes away, the mm-hmm. other one is so profoundly sad mm-hmm. that you know, pretty quickly after yeah. that, that person dies too. Yeah. And I spent that whole year just sort of rocking back and forth, like, please, you know, like, I, I lost my mom. I can't lose my dad. Mm-hmm. And when you moved down south and I walked into your house for the first time, I didn't see sadness. I didn't see, you know, um, you know, loss or death. I saw mm-hmm. all kinds of life and happiness and joy. It was beautiful to yeah. me. So what what was it? Did you make a, a decision? You just made a decision. I'm going to be happy. Mm-hmm. Is that what you did? So before, Patty, before my wife passed away, um, we used to talk, you know what I mean? You going to get married again or you going to do this again? Mm-hmm. I told her, no, I'm not going to get married no more. But, but um, after she passed away for the first three and a half, about two and a half years, I used to talk to her a lot. Because mm-hmm. I thought I was going crazy. I was talking to her a lot. Because, <laughs> you know, when you don't have no one around... Cause we stayed there a long time, you know, mm-hmm. just the two of us. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, we just do everything together, go everywhere. And then after I didn't have that companionship, mm-hmm. it was kind of, you know, kind of hard. Yeah. But I used to talk to her a lot, mm-hmm. you know. And I used to go up there and sit in the, ba- in the bedroom a while mm-hmm. and just talk, look around, look around. And I just smell her perfume, that perfume that I used to get from uh, Macy's all the time yeah. for her. Mm-hmm. I just smell it. And... Um, a couple of couple of months ago, I smelled it at home mm-hmm. in Virginia, mm-hmm. and uh, I said, "Oh Lord, she's coming after me now." <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta be. She's I coming said, after oh, her. No, I think she's coming after me. <laughs> <laughs> Just stopping by to say hey, to to remind you that she's there. She's just reminding you. Yeah, hold on, y'all. I want to apologize. I was so nervous about this interview that I forgot to turn off my phone. I know, I know. It's a big no-no in the podcast world, but back to our conversation. My dad says he felt a strong bond with my mom that I suspect most people never experience. Both daddy and I have the ability to sense my mom's spirit in the room. She presents herself as a lotion he used to buy her. He says mom's absence fills the room when he's with me and my brother Troy. What make me so, so happy? The times every time I see you and Troy, I come mm-hmm. down, I see you and Troy. You know that's what makes me happy. And then I thought, you know, thinking about that, I said, Lord, I'm I wish she was here now to see what's going on yeah. with you and Troy. Yeah. And seeing that's what that's what fear my heart every time. Yes, mm-hmm. it hits me every time mm-hmm. I see and y'all are doing so good. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm so proud of you. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and people that's. Every time I start talking to you, they can see it in my face, uh-huh. you know what I mean, that, uh-huh. that I'm proud of both of you. I yeah. mean, up to the top, yeah. you know what I mean? Like they say, to the highs of Piftitib. <laughs> 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 you know, but uh, uh-huh. it's really, it's really, it's a good thing that to see y'all grow up to be so beautiful, smart, 
you know, and loving because, I mean, your two are my heart. Really. I, see, your, we're supposed to be really talking heart. about happiness, but you're making me cry. Hmm? No. You're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to be on the microphone crying. Uh, but I love you so much. Yeah, I love you too, darling. You know, again, when mommy passed away, you just became this different person to me. Yeah. You you learned how to mm-hmm. enjoy your life and you built your life and then decided to enjoy it yeah. exactly the way that you yeah. wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how inspiring that yeah. was to mm-hmm. see. Like you're talking about, you know, like how proud you are of me and Troy for mm-hmm. being independent and, you know, doing well, but your daughter looks at you and you were an inspiration for me. Like yeah. every, we're sitting in the middle of mm-hmm. my dining room in the middle of, you know, my, my house, my, my apartment, mm-hmm. we're going to go and see my home that I'm about to buy mm-hmm. in a little bit. And all of those moves that I've made in like the last yeah. four or five years, mm-hmm. you know, from deciding that I w- wanted to be single to becoming single mm-hmm. to living on my own and building a life that I wanted. All of that was, you know, you were the architect of that yeah. because yeah. I got to see you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I that you're parenting me. I'm 51 years old. Yeah. And you're still parenting me yeah you know in different mm-hmm. ways like mm-hmm. we're not changing diapers and feeding bottles no but mm-hmm. you are showing me how to live a good life yeah because you like i, I always I always tell you you gotta crawl then you gotta walk then you gotta stand up straight and take care of your own that's right you know what i mean and you just can't you go out here and party party all the time that's you right. have to sit in and think so well what i'm gonna do with my life that's right you know when i'm get when i get a little older what my daughter's gonna think about me from out there partying. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. always say, say when you get thirty, your dress gotta get longer, not shorter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do but, appreciate a short dress every now and then. But uh uh but I'm glad you're yeah. living a beautiful life now and continue to do that. And uh, I'm gonna love you for the day I die. You Absolutely. know, I mean, I and beyond. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, absolutely. And the grandkids, oh, yeah, my heart. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, my heart. Thank you, Daddy. I love you, baby. I love you so much, Daddy. Thank you for being the brightest light in my life. <laughs> I'm so glad I got to talk to my dad because, you know, I find that all too often we let our loved ones, particularly our parents and grandparents, pass on into the next life without actually um, sort of taking the time to, A, get to know them better and to know their life better, but also to document that. You know, I'm always, I have videotapes of my dad telling jokes I have videotapes of him dancing and singing songs with my daughters like you know hugging them kissing them hugging me kissing me every voicemail that he's ever left me I have on my phone like I just love the sound of his voice and I know that I won't always have it and I didn't do that with my mom and so I don't know what her voice sounds like and I don't have a lot of pictures of her and I don't have a lot of pictures of her with me they're rare and so and because she passed away before cell phones were taking pictures 
And so, you know, there's there's a limited stock of what I have of her, but I'm not going to let that happen with my dad. We should go ahead and take those phones and train them at the ones that we love and document it so that we'll always have those memories. My dad encouraged me to be a writer. Growing up, money was tight and books were a luxury. I'll never forget the thrill I had as a kid going to the library to discover a new literary friend or another world. The Little Princess and the Secret Garden helped me fall in love with fantasy and better understand the world. Still, I missed seeing something in the pages. I miss seeing me, a little black girl growing up in Long Island, New York. Angie Thomas is the author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Hate You Give, and she says the number of books written by blacks, Latinos, and Native Americans is paltry. If you look at the numbers of authors of color compared to uh, white authors, the numbers are ridiculous, even when it comes to the books. So I, I I want to continue to call publishing out on that. Angie spoke at an event in Georgia in front of hundreds of young readers. I had the honor of introducing her and author Nick Stone. We'll hear from Nick in a moment, but let's put what Angie just said into perspective. The Cooperative Children's Book Center took a deep dive into the lack of diversity in children's books. The group reviewed more than 3,600 children's books published in 2018. Of these, 11% were about African or African-American characters, and only 5% were by African or African-American authors. While these titles did have Native American, Latinx, and Asian representation, the vast majority were by and about white people. Angie Thomas says the lack of diversity in children's books is a problem she's seen her entire life. Once I became a teenager, I was, one, not only not seeing books, with people like me, but I wasn't being introduced to authors who looked like me, who were from neighborhoods like mine. So I didn't think it was something I could do. You know, like when I was a teen, Twilight was huge. And I have nothing against Twilight, but that woman on the front row would not have let me date a 300-year-old vampire. <laughs> so I, I turned to hip-hop as a way of storytelling because I, was, I thought that was the only way somebody like me could do it. But it was, once I got a little older, Around 17, I was realizing this is not for me. And it was while I was in college, I got a chance to meet authors who looked like me. Sad, but you know, that's, that's where I started getting it. And mm-hmm. so that's when I realized it was something I could do. Angie's sunlight started to shine bright when she started reading black books. Ironically, the same thing happened to me. It was freshman year that a professor had me read Toni Morrison's Song of Solomon. And when I read the last page of that book, I knew that being an author and writing about black lives was possible for me. And Angie Thomas is using her words to show black children the same as possible for them. In 2017, she released her debut novel, The Hate You Give. It's about a young girl whose world is flipped on its head when her childhood friend is shot by a policeman. A year after the novel's release, the book was adapted into a movie. Out of the car. Yo, Star, you okay? Go back where he told you. Khalil, I'm not playing. Go back where he Today, Garden Heights is reeling after the shooting of a 17-year-old black teenager by a white police officer. 
We live in a complicated world. It doesn't seem that complicated to me. The story takes place in the backdrop of the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, I was so afraid to write The Hate You Give because if you say Black Lives Matter to three different people, you may get 30 different reactions. And then, too, because publishing is so white. You know, I wasn't seeing books with black girls on the cover, and I definitely wasn't seeing books about black girls speaking up about their lives mattering, you know, or about police brutality and all of that. So I didn't expect it. In fact, my fear is what led me to my literary agent. I was like, is a book like this appropriate for a young adult novel? And he responded and he was like, yeah, I'd actually like to read that. And I sent it to him and he signed me and he submitted it to publishers and 13 US publishers fought for the rights to that book. So that's, that's why I tell people all the time, the thing you're afraid to do is probably the thing you need to do. Yes. We are your hosts, Nick Stone and <laughs> Angie Thomas. Welcome. That is our hashtag. Sitting next to Angie with a smile on her face is New York Times bestselling author Nick Stone. What's up, girl? What's up? How are you? I'm good. How you doing? <laughs> I'm excited. I sounded like to be Wendy here. right there. How you doing? How you doing? I'm doing. As I watched Nick and Angie on stage, something occurred to me. The three of us are black women and all New York Times bestselling authors. We make a living peddling words in a way that helps make the sunshine on the lives of black children. And that's a beautiful thing. Months after I introduced him on stage, I had the chance to catch up with Nick Stone to talk about her book, Odd One Out. It's about three friends, two girls and a boy. They navigate through the intersections of friendship and romance and figure out who it's okay to love. That puts the characters in the position of questioning their own sexuality. The story came about from a meeting Nick went to at Spelman College that was organized by the Campus Pride organization. It was focused on biphobia, and she says it made her think about why she remained quiet for so long about her own sexuality. He was the first person I just straight up came out to. And this is this was months or so after we'd gotten married. And... For me right now, it's important for me to wear my rainbow bracelet and rock my rainbow tennis shoes and be proudly, openly not heterosexual. I typically just say bisexual because it's easier for people to understand. Mm -hmm. But the idea that if you are a person who is attracted to more than one gender, that once you pick a gender, the rest goes away. Right. That's that's no good. Right. Like we, we have to get rid of that. Right. right. Um, and I've met people who have known they are same sex attracted since they were like five or six. I have met people who are figuring it out now at right. 40 right. and it's always OK. Right. Absolutely. One of the many young minds Nick Stone inspires is 18 year old Lyric Esco. Lyric is a teen staff member with Vox Teen Communications, a magazine by teens in Atlanta. Lyric is also a huge Nick Stone fan, and I asked her to join me in the studio to talk to her favorite author, Nick. I love this question Lyric had for Nick about inclusion in books like Odd One Out. Um, so I think when we're talking about um, representation, and specifically, I think, LGBT representation within, like, you know, uh, communities of color. I think 
one of the things that struck me was I, in all the books that I've read, not all of them, but like most of them, usually the focus is around, you know, white teens and their like kind of discovery of that. And, you know, so what was kind of your thing of, I guess, what was your thing of trying to figure out like how you're going to write this book and the decision to like keep it basically entirely centered around, you know, um, teens of color, you know, and everything. That's something that I really haven't seen mm-hmm. in a lot of YA books centered around um, LGBT teens. It is my personal goal to put as few white people in my books as possible. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, I'm very dead set on that. And, you know, it's nothing personal. I just, there are plenty of books with white kids in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Odd One Out, there is one white character yeah. and he doesn't sound like a white guy so (laughs) he spends so much time with black people he might as well he he has a lot of black energy (laughs) as we would say um but the idea that as we try to shift the narrative away from stories that center on tragedy there just are other things that we need to be addressing Mm -hmm. i think and and intersectionality is a beautiful thing and i think that the more stories we have that address different facets of a person's character at once, Mm -hmm. the better. I want to ask you about your voice. And specifically, I find it really hard to write for children or to write in children's voices. Like I can do children's picture books, but early readers, middle grade um, uh, writing and writing for YA is just, I don't know if I've lost my my childish (laughs) sort of, you know. Well, I will say that I wrote um, a story for a scholarship for We Need Diverse Books. Uh Um, And in it, I am a teen. I found it hard to write in a teen voice. Thank you. Right. (laughs) Right, like it's hard as heck to not sound like somebody talking, pretending to be a teenager (laughs) and saying, right, but you managed to embody these voices like the, the you know and absolutely everything. to things that where does that come from yeah. um i have like a council of, <laughs> i'm not kidding do you of people Can that i, I text like, <laughs> hey what do y'all call I, I remember a text exchange i had with two of my my councilmen um <laughs> danny and zay and i was asking them what what do you call an old beat down car because like right. they don't y'all don't say hoopty right. like that shows my age right, right, when right. i say the word hoopty y'all right. not even saying beater anymore apparently it's a bucket now so and it's a colloquialism Wait, a and bucket? it's like a, it's a regional thing as well a bucket is like a beat down car oh who knew right this is what these 16 year olds are telling me so i'm like okay cool it's a bucket like y'all don't call (laughs) y'all don't call cops 5-0 they call them 12 so like there are all of these little pieces that i wouldn't know without consulting with my teen readers and it's interesting that you asked me this because walter dean myers was in his 60s I believe he was either like late 50s, early 60s when he wrote the book Monster. Right. Yeah. Right. Clearly. Yeah. Right. He was doing something. Right. right? So we have the same editor. I asked my editor, I was like, Phoebe, how (laughs) did he manage to capture this voice when he was like a grandfather? Right. And she said, well, he had his consultants. So I keep my consultants on on day. On speed. (laughs) But I also think, I also think you just got to let it rock. Mm. Um, the people, people I find that struggle with voice the most are just trying too hard. Mm-hmm. Like the voice is in there. If you just take the time to listen to the character, I do very extensive um, character templates before I start writing a book, just so that I can hear the character speaking in my head. And a lot of that 
nailing it comes in edits mm-hmm. so like i don't hit it the first time <laughs> with odd one out oh my gosh the edits were excruciating because i had Each three different per- voices yeah, and i had different. to and in the beginning they weren't very distinctive at all mm-hmm. so like we had to had to edit through and i had to listen to them even more closely and make sure that the turns of phrase were different than they were in this point of view yeah, chapter and like yeah. i'm totally stripping the magic away right now but like it's just a craft thing i think right. you know right edit edits are important friends <laughs> revise revise <laughs> revise the voice was one of definitely things i love the most like i love in the in the first point of view like um with courtney how he's spelling stuff and he's just i came out but neck neck naked just like <laughs> that or like just there are like various moments when i was reading it and i'd literally have to stop and i take a picture like, this totally sounds like somebody would say like the line about um halsey and freddie mercury uh-huh. about there she was just like i just feel like they're like the spirit reincarnated and everything like stopped and i was like this is like i was like how is she nailing these conversations like how is she in my head yeah, just really great that you could write something that gets into her head yeah. freddie uh, like mercury <laughs> right like when i read that i was like oh that sounds like my baby lila uh-huh. who is just obsessed with things that I wouldn't expect her to be obsessed by because A, I raised her and, <laughs> <laughs> and B, like I've never, you know, I like what is this obsession with, you know, Freddie Mercury and 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 <laughs> right, the Queen and, and Taylor Mercury Swift. She's like a little black girl. Her mom is walking around with her fist in the air at all times and she's like, you know, got posters of Taylor Swift and so Queen on her wall. And I'm Oh, I love right. her. And I'm just like, where did this kid come from? But yeah. she She's real. Yeah. I see her every day. I kiss her face every day. And she's real. And she's showing up in your books because you recognize that she's real. Yeah. And to me, that is so dope. Thank you. I, You know, I so my first, my middle grade debut uh, comes out in January. And it follows a little black boy on a road trip with his white grandmother. And they're headed down her memory lane. And as they travel across the southern states, he mm. discovers that not only was the time that she lived in way different than what he lives in now, but also that like maybe she's a little different than he expected. Oh. And 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 I don't know if I nailed that voice or not. The teen voice, I can do in my mm. sleep. And mm. and I think that has to do with like trying to constantly immerse myself. I love working with teenagers. I am constantly in high schools. I have mentees all across the United States Mm -hmm. and they keep me hip. When it comes to the younger crowd, we gonna see. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure yet. I mean, like, right. I'm really not sure whether or not that's a voice that I did well. What a great story, though. Yeah. Like to look at it from that perspective, because we've seen it, obviously, with the my grandfather, my grandmother was a part of the movement yeah. or, you know, suffered because the movement didn't make it to their little town yet and yes. all of that stuff. And I didn't know that they did these things with Dr. Martin Luther the King and all of that stuff. But <laughs> you're looking at looking at it from a super fresh perspective yeah and it was important to me so my kids have a white grandmother Mm -hmm. um my mother-in-law is russian okay and there were white people alive and married to black people or dating black people (laughs) romantically involved that happened it was a thing like that was a thing right (laughs) so i really wanted to explore this idea of right like what what did racism look like through the eyes of a white woman who was married to a black man in the 60s um and you know she she basically the premise of this book is that she wants to go on this road trip because it's a road trip she never got to complete Mm. uh because there were so many things that she could not do 
with an African African American man by her side. Wow! So she takes her grandson, and they and they go on this road trip. And right. Granny is wild, though. I'm just <laughs> I, I have no doubts about this. She is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <She's> <laughs> yeah, Ru Ruby Jean Truman. Ruby. No, no, that ain't her last name. It's Wyatt. Ruby Jean Wyatt. She's based Ruby on Jean. Ruby Jean Truman, who's a dog. <laughs> My friend's dog in uh, in Los Angeles. See what I mean? Lyric. You yeah. see what I mean? You see what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's a grandma dog, so I named it. You know, she's a very beautiful dog. <laughs> I do think though that it's important that you are writing these stories to middle graders. I remember when I kind of was at that middle middle grade level, and it kind of wasn't a lot. You know, there was you know you had like you know a lot more of the picture books, a lot of the chapter books, but then you also had like you know I wasn't trying to go deep into twelve. Li- Twilight, you know, 11 years old, you know, and everything. I was like, where's that balance? Um, (laughs) So, like, for me, it really wasn't, you know, there were, like, a few, but, like, it was still kind of that weird, okay, do I I go to the kids' section of Barnes or do I go to the teen section? Like, where do I go? So, I do think, though, that, like, a lot lot more of these stories are now, it's making me really happy now that there are a lot more of these middle grade stories and that they're quality because I think a lot of times people are like oh you know kids at that age don't really read but like I was so immersed in books at that age and just it's a tough one I'm a little nervous about getting boxed in um, because the issue with age age genreing books is that there's this idea of like what's appropriate for a middle grade mm-hmm. book and what's appropriate for a YA book right. and does mm-hmm. this does this thing in this book about this 11 year old does this automatically make it YA like it's just mm-hmm. a very it's tricky like I really 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 want to do a middle grade romance but I'm nervous about whether or not they're going to be like no sorry you have fourth graders that are going to be reading this right. and I'm like but that isn't my problem I'm right. writing for the 11 and 12 year olds right. that exactly. are going to be reading we'll see what who happens who are you know looking at each other for the yeah, first time yeah right like you have there's this uh, there's this like ghost this ghost age yeah. between kind of 12 and 14 mm-hmm. where they're wanting books that aren't kitty books Mm -hmm. like they they want to read books that have a little grit to them but they're not ready for odd one out right right so and like i remember being 12 and 13 and getting dumped like sixth seventh and eighth grade every year i got dumped for the same girl every year three different (laughs) boys And like, I remember going through that and being like, but what is wrong with me? Like, what is is this? Why did y'all like her so much? (laughs) Having a book where like, there's a girl who gets dumped when she's 11. Like, that would have been great. Right. right? It would have been great to have a book. Like, why Scene Jordan will not (laughs) give me any play. Like, why are these boys just ditching me for this other girl? Exactly. The telegrams, the music. Like, why 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 don't you get pentagrams? Thank you. Why don't I get asked out on Valentine's Day? Like, sixth grade, it was McKeith. Seventh grade, it was Kashif. Eighth grade, it was Alton. And, like, they all, I'm not going to say the girl name, but, like, because we protect our women. But, like, right, right. Uh, I'm still salty. I'm still, I'm still salty. Now, granted, I also had a crush on the girl. So it was a so mess. That. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Having books, books that deal with all of this stuff right. when you're like 12, 13, that that's are actually right. about 12 and 13 yeah, year olds. Right. I'm like, this could potentially Sometimes be helpful playlist, to somebody. You know, just, it just doesn't help. You no. need a book. Right. Like Avril Lavigne. Right. Like, it can, can, can only get you complicated. It can only get you through so much. Right. And at a certain point, 
What? I need something else. I love y'all. I love y'all so hard right now. So hard right now. Because now you got me calling seeing Jordan's name and remembering that I loved him from fifth grade. Listen. All the way through senior year in, in college. Yes. And came out of college and saw him at the 7-Eleven in Brentwood, Long Island. And he was married to one of the chicks that, you know, he, Ooh. right, she got all the play. Mm-hmm. Why? But it's okay yeah. because who's a New York Times best song? Whoa! Yes, agreed. Oh, I, was like, you're, I think you're doing all right. You're doing all right. You're doing all right. Right, true. Right, 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 true. <laughs> but no, like, like, kids deal with, like, romance stuff, too. There are two, three, I'm going to recommend three very excellent middle grade books um, that deal with LGBTQ stuff. Um, one is Hurricane Child by Corinne Callender which is fantastic. And then there are two by a lady named Ashley Herring Blake. One is called Ivy Aberdeen's Letter to the World. And the other is called Sunny St. James, something of Sunny St. The something of Sunny St. James. You should like look it up and add it in. But because I can't remember the whole, it's like a longer title. Mm -hmm. But Sunny St. James is the main character in this book. And you're dealing with these adolescent girls who are dealing with feelings and questions and it's not sexual at all right Right. this is another issue that i take with with people taking issue with lgbtq stuff Mm -hmm. i'm like it is not inherently sexual attraction is not inherently sexual like you when i was six years old obsessed with my best friend and wanting to marry her it was not because of some kind of sexual thing um so Having these books for younger and younger kids is like Julian is a Mermaid is another right excellent picture Which is book. Beautiful, just and right. it's just chill. Like right. there's nothing ridiculous about it. Right. You're gonna have people, of course. You have people who push back just because it's something that they don't understand. Which is, you know what? We're not even gonna go there right now. Right. I'm just mm-hmm. gonna say, That's get these lot. books, support yeah. these books. These That's are books right. that need our support. My thanks to New York Times bestselling author Nick Stone for joining us in our speakeasy. Her latest book, which we talked about, is called Clean Getaway. We've posted a link to it on our website. And a huge thank you to Lyric Esco for helping me with our interview. Lyric is a freshman at Spelman College in Atlanta, where she's studying documentary film. Lyric, thank you for making the future even brighter with your sunshine. with writing because of music. When I was a kid, I would lie on the floor with my chin in my hands, pouring through the lyrics on the album cover of Stevie Wonder's Musiquarium. Mary wants to be a superwoman, but is that really in her head? But I just want to live each day to love her for what she that Stevie Wonder was a Picasso with his words. Songs like Superwoman made me really notice how important words are to storytelling. And all the things she wants to be, she needs to leave behind. Just ahead, I'll tell you about some of the songs that inspire me and brighten up my life. You're listening to Speakeasy with Deneen, a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. I can deal with everything.
Information continues to come at us faster and faster. Sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Our password on this episode of Speakeasy with Deneen is sunshine. As we end today's show and in the first season of our podcast, I want to highlight a few of the songs that bring sunshine to my life. We're filling our speakeasy with music, and it's only appropriate to start with a song I remember listening to as a kid. Everybody Loves the Sunshine by Roy Ayers. My life, my life, my life, my life in the sunshine. Everybody loves the sunshine. Sunshine. If you go onto my Instagram page, My Brown Baby, whenever I post pictures of myself, you might see me quote "Everybody Loves the Sunshine" because there's this 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 lyric in there where it's just Roy Ayers, who is a xylophonist, he plays the vibes, and all of his song is like mad, mellow, you know, chill music. Um, and in "Everybody Loves the Sunshine," he says, "Just bees and things and flowers." Just bees and things and flowers. Like, what can be more beautiful than just the idea of going through your day and there's nothing but bees and things and flowers? Like, it makes me want to run through a field or sit in a park or just, like, roll down a hill in grass. You know, like, it just it just brightens my day. And it's a really mellow song. Like, it's very chill. But the words are just that everybody loves sunshine. And it's true. Who doesn't love the sunshine? Everybody loves the sunshine. Sunshine. I remember sitting next to the radio on a Sunday morning and hearing, you know, like everybody loves the sunshine or, um, you know, it being played at family functions, at reunions and picnics. And it's it's Roy Ayers. Like he is the master of, you know, the 70s kind of music and his vibes were everything. So it was always sort of like this underpinning of all of the different events that we had. I listen to Everybody Loves the Sunshine, whether I'm in a good mood, a bad mood, a funky mood. A quiet, contemplative mood, an excited mood. 
Everybody Loves the Sunshine fits every last one of those moods. The next song is Lettuce's All Right. Now, All Right became sort of my theme song uh, when I had babies. Because it's everything about the song is about how all these different things can go wrong in your world, but it's going to be all right. This life can make me so confused, but it's all right. Living day by day, I feel so used that ain't right. I just want to run and hide, but I don't have the time to cry. And it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. You know, it is like the ultimate optimistic song. You can throw it on and feel like, oh my goodness, this is the crappiest day ever. But Lettucey is going to get me through it by telling me it's going to be all right. And in the song, she talks about how, you know, like she can't afford, you know, to buy nice things. Um, the rain is making her sad, um, but she's going to be all right. And there's nothing like listening to a song that just sort of brings you up and lets you know that, yeah, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all The next song is Clever by Erica Badu. Okay, so Erica Badu is baby mama. Like, if I could have babies and I was into girls, it would be Erica Badu. Like, I would be a Baduite. I would follow her everywhere because she's freaking brilliant. And Clever is one of my favorite songs because in it, she's just talking about her awakening, the sunshine in her life when she realized despite all of these negative things that was going on in her life, that she was super clever and could use her will, her black girl magic, to overcome whatever it was that she had to overcome. You know, she's like, this is how I look without makeup and with no bra, my knitties sag down low. Um, I ain't got but $5 in my pocket, but I'm, you know, like, I'm wonderful. Like, she's, she's just, that's what she's saying. She's like, it doesn't matter what all is going wrong in my life. I'm going to flip it because I'm clever. I'm the last to know. Leva was instrumental in helping me find myself and understand that even though I didn't fit into other people's 
ideas of what was appropriate or traditional or societal standards that what I have is brilliant. It's clever. You know, like my dark skin, my wide hips, my, you know, my little nose, my kinky hair, everything about me, the way that I talk, the way that I walk is acceptable. It's beyond acceptable. It's right. It's dead right. And I'm clever because I flip all of it and make you understand that I'm clever too. The next song uh, that is on my uh, idea of songs that bring me sunshine is Jill Scott's When I Wake Up. Too much on my mind. When I Wake Up is about how no matter how dark your day gets the night before, always when you wake up, the sun is going to be shining and it's going to be beautiful. Here I am thinking again. All lost in my brain. When I know I should get up and get out of there, I gotta keep moving. But here I am, lost all up inside my brain. It gets me to the next step where there is an awakening, where the sun comes up and you know, it shines on you and it shows you that, look, you survived. You woke up, it's a new day. It's a new day to get it right. Even if you didn't get it right last night, you can get it right today. And so, and I just love the way that she sings it and the music, the melody is just gorgeous. It's just a really chill vibe song. I have let you go And everything I went through was beautiful That entire album is called The Light of the Sun, um, Jill Scott's album. And there are a lot of different songs on there that spoke to how I was feeling when I was on my way to getting a divorce, when I was clear in my mind that my marriage wasn't going to work. And on that album, there are songs about um, how beautiful the day is. There are songs about figuring out uh, who I am, that I'm more than what other people think that I am. Um, There's songs on there that are about, um, uh, you know, just feeling so in so much pain and not understanding how to pull yourself out of it and then figuring out how to do that um, by digging deep into yourself. Um, And When I Wake Up is, you know, at the top of the list of those songs that really just sort of puts the exclamation point on how beautiful that album is because it's saying, you can get through this. And for even more songs that give me sunshine, we put together a playlist. Check it out at speakeasywithdeneen.com. I'm Deneen Milner, and this is Speakeasy with Deneen. That's it for the season. 
I hope you guys enjoyed what we've had to offer. It's been such a joy to talk about things that I love and to talk with people that I love and for all of us to celebrate the beauty of Blackness. Sean Powers produces the show and Kiosha Howard is our editor. Our opening theme music is by M. Fassel. We heard additional music from DeWolf Music. A special thanks to Angie Thomas for allowing us to peek in on her book talk here in Georgia. Speakeasy with Deneen is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. You can listen to past episodes and subscribe for free anywhere you get podcasts. And until the next time on Speakeasy, be easy.